Hey, everybody, this is Dan Kelso with Next Future Today, and I just wrapped up an interview with Spencer Waldron. His current company is Senrox, C-E-N-R-O-X.com. He was previously at Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I.com, which is a presentation platform that competes with PowerPoint and Keynote and, to a certain extent, some of the Zoom and, and other platforms like that, really more about creating presentations. He had a presentation design agency before that, and he's got about 15, 20 years of really focused attention on how to create great presentations. Great, not just from they look beautiful, but they're engaging. They get past people's defenses. They uh, are engaging on a one-to-one level, if that's what you're doing, or on a 10,000, 100,000 large stage kind of uh, setting, virtual, in-person, what's the nuance between that. And I think one of the most interesting pieces of our conversation is if Steve Jobs were alive today and throughout COVID, what would his style of product launches have been when you take away the massive crowds that were always attracted to Apple events and still are? But if Steve was alive today, what would he have done? And what might we learn from taking the very specific skills and attitudes and design that he would take for an in-person huge product launch and do that in a virtual way? And I think we could all, and us be, we could all learn uh, a lot about how to be engaging and how to really take advantage of the things that we now know work from neuroscience, rhetoric, uh, PR, all sorts of things. And there's a lot more coming in a separate episode where we'll get into depth about storytelling, which we talked about after I hit stop and got going for 30, 40 minutes in addition to what we had already talked about. And I think that will be a lot of fun and very not academic. It'll be very actionable, specific, useful information that you'll be able to take. Anyhow, I'm very excited about storytelling. We have a hint of that in this. If you want to get better at communication, specifically through presenting as a means of doing that, this is the episode for you. Mr. Spencer, it has been, I think, two years since we actually last talked in, in real time. Exactly. But it's so wonderful that you joined me on the on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be uh, on a call with you again. And it, it's been a wacky world. I, I think, uh, looking back on the notes, I think we, we've probably met each other in 2021 because we launched Plexicam December 2020. And then you had mentioned at some point that some good friends with Bruce Mulholland, who's a mutual friend as well, do you, do you remember which one of you found Plexicam first? Because apparently you, you both found it sort of simultaneously or something and were I, up on a, a webinar or something. That you yeah, yeah. I can't remember who found it first. Not I know that I bought, I bought it in March 2021. Oh, no kidding. It, okay. it was, yeah, it was really, I, it, it was, I was, I think it may have been me because I was hunting to solve a problem. And, you know, it was, I'd started obviously, We'll probably talk a bit about Prezi, but because of my work with Prezi and Prezi Video, and I've been doing stuff on YouTube, that I kept coming up against this problem that I need to be looking at the camera when I'm talking to people. And I tried all kinds of things and nothing was working. And I, I want to think earlier today, I can't remember how I first came across Plexicam, but the second I saw it, I was like, genius, absolutely genius. It's like such a fantastic solution because in my head, I was, it'd be great if there was like, a camera that was built into the middle of the monitor or something. And, and yeah, and then when I saw that, it was just a, a complete no-brainer and I've used it ever since, so. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's, and it's funny. I mean, so my, you know, my partner, Tom, invented this, but um, 
So I feel bad that I, I tend to get the credit because I'm the <laughs> one that talks to some more, more people about us. But uh, it is funny how, especially early on, so many people said, oh, thank God this exists. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, it, it wouldn't have existed. It would have just been an idea that, that Tom was using himself in a very different, not productizable form. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I think when we first talked in 2021, I, I knew Prezi from in-person presenting and I, I, a while there I was covering mind mapping and, and like that. So the, the kind of explosive presentations that you could create, uh, or something that's how I associated Prezi, but you know, Prezi now is like a really full featured, you know, video experience, which is, you know, between Prezi and like Ecamm and a couple other players what perfect timing for, for COVID to happen and like, Hey, we have tools that that already make it so that your zoom calls are not as boring as they're going to be. Otherwise. So you, you've been doing video presentation and in-person presentation as a profession, as a coach and working with a software company all that for over 10 years. Is that safe to say? Yeah. I, I was Prezi for nearly, I think it was about nine years up until last year. Okay. And before that, I used to run a presentation design agency. I've, I've been in this space quite a long time. Uh, the video thing, there's an interesting story there in the sense that we uh, kind of Prezi video launched in November of 2019, literally a, a handful of months before COVID hit. And it was for me when I, you know, because you can, you know, connect the dots looking backwards, but you know, when I think back, it was like, it's a good example of how Prezi was always looking to leapfrog into the future. Like, what's the tool people are going to need in the future? And I think what we at the time saw at Prezi was more and more people taking their Prezi into Zoom and other, you know, online video calls. And we were like, there must be a better way to do that. So the presenter doesn't like disappear and that the presentation takes up the whole screen and, and how... Prezi video started out life as Prezi AR. It was an augmented reality tool in the beginning uh, where you could hold your finger for a second and it would move it. But uh, yeah, eventually it ended up being Prezi video and it just almost through complete luck, we launched, I don't know, three or four months before COVID hit and then it was just a roller coaster ride after that. Well, that's why I, I, I feel bad. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, COVID obviously was, was not a good thing uh, and the large scale, but it is amazing how much innovation it, it unleashed that was probably bottled up for a very long time. And that's it, uh, that is one thing I wanted to talk about, actually. I mean, like, you know, what happened to Cisco and WebEx? They just completely lost it. They were the verb for, you know, your presentation platform virtually. And it was never great, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, especially, you know, the internet was, was not made to do real-time video, right? So, but, you know, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, Zoom broke out because it's ex-Cisco employees like, God, this sucks. Let's let's, let's do something different. Yeah. And it's it's one of those, uh, uh, there's a book that's called like Billion Dollar Failures or something uh, that came out probably 10 years ago. This is one of those, like, what a massive opportunity that, that fell on the floor and then Zoom ran away with it. Yeah. So in my 2014 book that Tom and I wrote called The Gen Z Effect, I coined a term called slingshotting which uh, you use the variation on, on you know, like you and I and Rich and and a lot of our friends that are, that are in this kind of space tend to be early adopters of things. And we're in that front edge, which is exciting and thrilling and expensive and time consuming and, and all sorts of good and bad things. Um, it occurred to me when we were writing the book, you know, there, there's a lot of 
brilliance in like Apple, for example, is usually not the first to market with anything, but they wait and then they perfect it and then they hide it away. So it's just a part of the experience. And it's, uh, is interesting to tie this back into pre presenting, you know, COVID really. So once you take away the standard tricks that you might use if you're on a stage and now you got to go virtual and now you got to run all everything yourself, you know, like lighting, you know, microphone choice, background decisions, all sorts of stuff. It's, and that's a lot, it's a very different experience. So it's not just what am I presenting from a content standpoint, but how the hell do I execute it so that it looks like I want it to look because it's, you know, it's up to me unless you, unless you have a huge budget. Uh, I, I definitely felt that when, even before COVID when, cause the, what became crazy video started three years before that. And I can remember already back then thinking, okay, I need to understand this video thing because we're going to do more of it. And I started doing, you know, I can remember, it seems so weird to say it now, but if you go back only four or five years, I, I felt like I was an early adopter switching the camera on when I was doing webinars. Like a lot of webinars where you only saw the slides and I heard a voice. Like, and I started doing lots of video and I was like, I suck at doing this on video. It was like, it was so humbling because I am very comfortable on a stage or in a room. And then I started doing these videos and I was like, I, whilst there is a lot of overlap, there's a lot of other things that you need to start to think about and, and what you're going to say or what, how are you going to do things. So yeah, to your point, it was figuring out how do I get over that weird feeling of being on my own in a room and I'm looking at a camera, thanks to Plexicam, uh, like, you know, lighting and clothing and, and, you know, how I need to exaggerate my voice and my movement a bit more than I would if I was on a stage. Movement becomes quite important. So yeah, many lessons along the way to kind of start to piece together. Okay, how does this work? So Steve Jobs was famous for his, you know, one more thing. Uh, and just overall the way that he, I mean, he was an incredible marketer and, and sales guy, uh, you know, PT Barnum kind of stuff. Um, if, if Steve was alive today or, or through COVID, do you think that his style of like the, you know, the yeah, every six months sort of here's, here's the thing that Apple's working on. Do you think he would have changed his approach? Would he have, he would have mastered, mastered the presenting sort of world or where do you think he would set? Oh, that was a very specific style. Yeah. 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 I, I love question. Yeah. Because here's what a lot of people don't know about when he did those amazing product launches at uh, Macworld. Yeah. It, it would be yeah. four months in the making. He would go weeks before the live show and look at the lighting and you know it was um it was you, you really felt it's like putting on a theater play like a performance and i think that's why i always yep. took from him is that you know it takes three weeks to make an impromptu speech that nothing great happens without <laughs> planning like uh and, and he was right. definitely somebody that took that to the nth degree and i i could say if he did start to, i mean let's face it covid would have forced that more in a way um, and I sure. think it, you would definitely see something done as a almost theatre performance because when you think about lighting and sound and everything that they would have had at Macworld, I would have thought, yeah, you, you would have seen something pretty special if they'd uh, applied that. Okay, how do we do like Macworld virtually Steve Jobs style? Because he's yeah the way that he structured his content and you know he was a master of using rhetoric and you know things were always in threes thinner faster lighter and all that kind of stuff but uh <laughs> but yeah it would be it would four months of him thinking about how to do that that would be pretty pretty special 
so you have a lot of experience in presenting in person as well as virtually. What are some of the most common, you know, now that we've gone three years through a period where people should have picked up at least something about how to do virtual presenting better, like turning on your camera, which is, is funny that it used to be a not even possible. What are some common things that you coach people through on? Maybe they've already been a pretty good in-person presenter, but now they need to jump into virtual. Is there Are there two or three, since you mentioned threes, uh, you know, keys that you give people? Like these are the things you need to do bare minimum to level up so that you're above average on on camera yeah i think i definitely see first of all i definitely see an improvement i see many more uh examples where people have taken care of the background and lighting is getting better and and my and some microphones are getting better and i think that was a lot to do with companies realized okay we've got loads of people at home and we want to improve the experience of what that looks like so i think people were giving budgets and, and it took i think three years for that to slowly kind of seep in um so i think that's almost become table stakes in in, in a way now. but yeah if if you're going to be in it on a regular basis then you know those kind of things and i think things like you know again to mention plexicam but that kind of like you know eye contact and, and looking at, at camera and also not kind of having it too high or too low or you know making sure that it almost looks like a tv tv experience in a way so i think those things are definitely important, and I and I just before I joined the call with you, I have a music track. Uh, it's the Imagine Dragons on top of the world, and I'll will play that always five minutes before I go live anyway because it gets my energy up, and it and it's you will naturally get if you're about to walk into a meeting room or you're going to yeah, speak at a conference, you'll get that nervous energy, which is I always think is important. So I think little things like that that can can you feel a lot better. And then the big one for me that I discovered was this to, I, I call it 20% rule. So 20% more of everything. Raise your voice 20%, 20% more hand movements because what feels almost unnaturally big or dramatic to you when you're here standing to the audience, the the, the video, the screen, it reduces it. So you need to go a little bit higher to kind of get that effect. And the 20% rule with your voice is another side benefit to that is it will almost eliminate filler words because filler words come when we're relaxed and we're talking fast. And if I raise my voice a little bit, it's hard for me to go that fast or to do that. So it's it's not the benefits from it. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've been uh, professional actors, um, actors, actresses. The same kind of thing has come up. Like, and it's, they, I think they tended to say more than twenty percent for like you're trying to, especially if you have a this 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 uh, description works better if you're just using like your built-in camera on your laptop. But if you're trying to get your energy through a tiny little pinhole to people on the other side, just think about that. Yeah. You know, if it was physically, you would need to push it through a bit more forcefully than just. Eh. So there's there's two two other pieces I wanted to hit before we wrap up. So one is so I'm a chemist. So I saw that you have a uh, periodical of sorts that I couldn't see because the the screenshot that I saw was very small, and when I blew it up, it was just a bunch of pixels. Yeah. So I'm a sucker for anything that that resembles a table of elements. Um, what is that? <laughs> so so it was was or is uh, I I built what I called the periodic table of emotions. 
And it, it kind of came for discovery. And I guess this has been like a long journey of mine as I went deeper and deeper into like presenting, storytelling, how do I structure things that I kept coming back to this. Okay, let, let, let's start the neuroscience a bit. How do we, how does a human being when we have that kind of content put in front of us? And it's the first time I discovered that emotions and feelings are two different things. So an emotion is physical. It, it's that physical manifest in our body. So if you take fear, for example, uh, fear is my heart beats faster, sweaty palms, adrenaline in the blood system. And uh, a feeling is a, a conscious thing. That's in our cerebral cortex. It's how we interpret what's happening to the body. So if I've got that emotion of fear and I'm shaking and sweating, my brain is going, it's fight, flight, freeze. It's like, oh my God, something terrible. Let's run away. And that's the classic how people feel sometimes when they're going to do public speaking. But then I say to people like, okay, but what, what do you feel? What's happening physically in your body when you're excited? Same thing, right? Sweaty palms, adrenaline in the blood system. But now you're about to go on a roller coaster and you love roller coasters. So for me, what I, what I suddenly discovered was this answer to why we feel scared of public speaking in the first place and how we can get over it. Because what I started saying to myself was, okay, instead of those 10 minutes before, because I used to be a terrible, terrible person for impulse syndrome. And I would be like, oh my God, look at this room. They're full of people. They're more experienced than me. And who am I to say this? And, 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 and it might make me nervous. And then all the saliva would disappear from my mouth. And, and it was like, it was only when I started to say, it's pretty cool I get to do this. Maybe I get to help people. Maybe I get to change something that somebody does for the better. And, and for me, it came this idea that there's only really two things that can help cure a fear of public speaking. And one is to do it many, many times. It's like any other fear. The more you do it, the less scary it becomes. And the second is to change that inner narrative as you kind of go into into a talk that's where that periodic table of feelings came from and then as i kind of went deeper into it i came across an amazing book called the neuroscience of leadership and i this is where i discovered that when you look at the emotions we only have eight emotions so eight different sets of physical things that happen to us and five of them are what they call survival emotions which are all the anger fear disgust sadness shame and and got two what they call attachment emotions, which is love and joy and excitement. And you suddenly realize, God, yeah. So like five, five of our emotions are the fight, flight or freeze. They're, they're trying to keep us safe all the time. And it also kind of makes you realize why somebody's not going to be receptive to your message in the beginning because they're going to start in that mode. And what I need to do is I need to move them into their into the excitement and and and, and the, the way to do that is the eighth emotion which is surprise and surprise is called the potentiator and it's the only emotion that can switch somebody from a survival emotion to an attachment emotion so that was for me another massive bell ringing above my head that ah so if i bring an element of surprise early in on my talk i can take somebody from a hmm, who is this guy can i believe what he's telling me is this a good idea to that's interesting. I'm curious. I want to know more. Totally changes how I'm going to be receptive to the messages after that. So for me, the, the, the emotion stuff is the core of understanding how to persuade somebody, how to be memorable, how to be effective.
So sort of traditional, like there's conversational marketing is a term that's come up. So yes. I'm, I'm in the Boston area, HubSpot created that and it's a massive industry, right? So, and part of that is don't be so damn formal, <laughs> basically yeah. in your marketing, you're presenting or whatever it is. There are other people out there that you should talk to like they're humans and not robots. You know, the AI will be pitching and selling to itself soon here, but while it's still us humans, <laughs> we should act like we're a human and, uh, and interest people. So. Uh, so how do you think about, um, sort of traditional presenting, which is, tends to be one way, unfortunately, yeah. versus conversational presenting? What, what is that up for you? I think for me, it's about, you know, always follow human behavior. So for me, it was this idea that, that, you know, the, the spot thing. So the internet and inbound marketing totally changed the world of marketing. So if I, if I think when I first started working, if I wanted to buy anything from a company, I had to ring them up, they would send a brochure, and eventually a salesperson would come, and it was their job to transfer information to me via a presentation, and I could ask questions and, and things like that. But what happened slowly over the last 20 odd years is if marketing's doing their job properly, all that information that used to be in that presentation is now on the website. So. When I want to buy something, I go to your website, I look at all the things, I go research your customers. Like By the time I actually talk to you and say, hey, let's have a meeting, I'm already a long way through my purchase process. The, the, the reason you are agreeing to a meeting is I've got three questions that I couldn't find and that's what we need to talk about. Um, and yeah, and then I was just on a mission from then. So for me, it was that idea that in going into that meeting and saying, Thank you for giving me 20 minutes of your time. How can we best spend it? Like ask for directions. I want to know how hot or cold are you? I want to know, you know, why did you agree to this meeting? Why are we having this conversation now? Like, because I've got a presentation that's got a hundred things in it, but I only maybe want to show you three or four, but I don't know unless you tell me. And I think, so for me, it just opened up this whole way of, communicating with somebody in a meeting that's going to be a lot more effective and I, I started playing around with okay now for some people that's really scary because you need to know the content really well you need to be you know so can you build it in a way that yeah somebody could still go click 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 and go through a whole presentation versus someone who's a bit more confident or knows the content better they can just say okay let's go to this bit and just talk about this bit uh, personally I still think this is kind of we're still slightly in the dark ages. So for virtual presentations, I mean, it's, if you're on a big stage, it's hard to get feedback from the audience anyhow because there's lights in your face and you can't see anybody, right? It's, uh, depending on where you're presenting. In a virtual setting, most of the like audience participation kind of tools are terrible. They're just terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or you have to do things like, hey, type in where you're, where you're from or watching, which is a thing these yeah. days, right? So, uh, and, and, you know, it's like... It's surface level garbage, you know, in my opinion. So, um, what are, are there some uh, more effective ways that you, that you see of taking advantage of virtual presentation as a way to actually get feedback? Not not like sales are a different thing. I'm, I'm I'm talking like you're doing, let's call it a webinar for lack of a better term. Uh, you're you're speaking to people virtually, and you do want to make sure that the presentation is customized to them, and you you get us to whether you're on the right track or not. Is there anything, any particular tool or any technique that you tend to recommend to get that sort of two-way feedback or multi-way? 
Uh, it's a great question. And I think the most important bit is what you said about the thousand people, because I, I now do a lot where if it's a 30, 30 people, 40 people, I'll do it in Zoom meeting, not Zoom webinar, because I want to see everybody and I want to call on people and start to ask them, hey, what do you think about that? And I also understood uh, a while ago that actually people very rarely get the chance to be in a space with their peers, with people who do the same job as them or have the same problem as them. So th there's amazing conversations to be had where I, I change from presenter to the facilitator. And I just want to broker a conversation because that's where the gold starts to come out sometimes. Um, but obviously you can't do that with a thousand people. That gets much, much harder. And I started with, what if I flip it on its head and I start with questions? So what I, what I did is I started going and I took a flip chart on the stage with me and I was like, okay, I'm here to talk about storytelling. I, and I've got a presentation here with lots of things that I could talk about but I don't know what's valuable for you unless you tell me. So let's just like, what's on your mind? What questions have you got? And people will start raising their hands. And what I would normally do is kind of find somebody in the coffee break before to give them an easy one to get people started. Um, and yeah, and then I would figure out, okay, here are the things that I can definitely take here and now. Some, some of those others I might need to, you know, say I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards. And then there's like the really specific ones that will be boring for everybody else. So you need to do almost like live editing um, and, and do stuff like that. So that's one way of doing it. The other way I've done it is having six topics up on the screen that I can go into any of those six topics and I'll say, okay, I'm here to talk about rhetoric, whatever. And I've got six things I can talk about, but we've only got time for four. What do you want? And then I'll get people to vote. And that's a, a nice way of seeing, okay, how are a thousand people going to tackle that? Now, yeah, you could do that with a show of hands if you're in person, or you could use something like Slido or any polling tool uh, if, you're, if you're doing it virtually. But having giving some kind of like control over to the audience in terms of let's go on this journey together and, and how can we do it? And beyond that, it, it's, and I think it's easier sometimes in person than virtual, but I will always try and talk to people. I want other people talking and asking questions. I've I've also used, uh, which I, will be the final thing I'll say, but like the uh, is uh, breather slides. So breather slides are really amazing at that. So you can always have in your presentation every so often, maybe at the end of a section or whatever, is just put a slide that's completely blank with your logo in the middle. Because when that comes up on the screen, it does two things. One, it shuts you up because <laughs> there's nothing to say. So you get to reset. And that's really helpful if you're somebody who speaks very fast and you'll gradually get faster and faster. But what it also does is allow you to take a pause and say, how was that? How, what's the feeling in the room? Did, you know, how can I go into anything more deeper that, you know, so you can get feedback and start that conversation with people. So look for things that force you to have those kind of moments. Cause I think that there's a, there's, it's scary sometimes as a presenter but there's a there's a lot of goodness there um what i do when i want to ask is so we're as we're recording the beginning of 2024 is there anything for 2024 that you're particularly excited about focusing on or or offering is there some thing that you've been hiding away and, and you're about to unleash uh I'll, I'll say two things one is something that i'm working on and and first is 
think AI for helping you develop content and messaging and structure and things like that can be super powerful for when you're putting together a presentation or a speech. I use it a lot to, you know, I, I will work with like ChatGPT and I'll say, okay, this is what I want to say. Now act as a neuroscientist and analyze it for this or act as a uh, public speaking expert. You, 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 can, you can definitely use it to almost like as a brainstorming partner. Uh, so I, I found a lot of gold there if you get the prompt right. And there's a lot of experimenting. When it, when it comes to designing presentations, I still think we're a, a way off. I still think because by and large, a lot of it is based on text models. So it will take, here's a wall of text and we'll just break it up into lots of paragraphs. And it's almost like, yeah, but we don't want lots of paragraphs of text in the presentation in the first place. So I, I still think that there's another, I'm 100% sure will come where it will, it will start to get more elegant. I mean, I was playing around with Prezi only the other day, which have a lot of AI stuff in it now. And that already will take text and find you an icon that's relevant and break it up. And so you see the design already starting to come. I think that's definitely something that 2024 into 2025 will definitely develop more. Or maybe it will be like the digital photography and it will be next month. Something will come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 moving fast. Uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first thing. And then just to touch on what I'm personally working on is I sure. developed a platform called Senrocks, senrocks.com, and it was really my way of taking everything that I've learned in the last 15 years in terms of how can I help people get better at speaking uh, and put it into a, into a platform. So that's what I've been working on. All right. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you based on what we talked about, since you're so awesome, what, uh, how should they be in touch with you? Link LinkedIn is definitely my, 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 my second home. We were talking at the beginning about how much, too much time that I spend on LinkedIn. So yeah, just search for Spencer Waldron on LinkedIn and you'll find me. And I'm always happy to connect with people and talk to people. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's, so I think we'll, we'll sort of back on a, on another time to talk more about storytelling. This is a ton that I know that I want to learn. Um, I like to pull things from lots of different industries. So not just from people who do presentations, but like who are the best storytellers and, you know, and do we need to repeat the Pixar formula that they do every time, which <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Uh, does that even apply to business? But I think that would be a lot of fun and also really useful because there's there's usually people say storytelling is terribly important in you know like B two B marketing, and then there's no detail. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> let's get to some detail maybe. And, and exactly, that's great. A bedtime story for marketing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, All right. Yeah. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for for making time. But it took us a while to get this to to happen. Life happens. Get get in the way. But I'm so glad that we made this happen. And thank you for coming on. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. All right. See you guys.